0: Section 4 of The Fourth Dimension Simply Explained by Henry Parker Manning This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ava'i in June 2016. Essay 2 Non-Euclidean Geometry of the Fourth Dimension by Lt. Col. Graham Denby Fitch, Corps of Engineers, USA Footnote This supplementary essay was written by the winner of the prize after the award was made. It is here published as a historical résumé of the subject. The fourth dimension is an offshoot of the so-called non-Euclidean geometry, which has thrown so much light on the foundations of mathematics and on the nature of space. For over 2,000 years Euclid was considered unassailable. Unassailable. His axioms were regarded as indisputable laws of real space, and his theorems as rigidly logical deductions therefrom. Neither view is correct. His axioms are metaphysical assumptions, and his theorems do not follow from them alone. The foundation of his method consists in establishing by superposition the congruence of lines, angles, plane figures, etc and proof with him is thus merely a matter of constructive intuition. The axiom of free mobility, that is, the possibility of moving figures in space without change of size or shape, which for instance does not hold on an egg-shaped surface but is essential to any system of geometrical measurement, is assumed by Euclid without being stated. Hilbert discards proof by superposition, for motion itself needs a geometric foundation and so cannot be a foundation for geometry. Another of Euclid's tacit assumptions is that the straight line can be infinitely extended, which, true of Euclidean, is false of some non-Euclidean geometries, for example Riemann's. Euclid proves that, if alternate angles are equal, then the lines are parallel, but of the converse propositions, if alternate angles are unequal, the lines meet, if the lines are parallel, alternate angles are equal, either of which implies the other, he could prove neither, and hence assumed the first, his celebrated fifth postulate, without which he could not proceed, as it was needed to prove the early important theorem that the sum of the angles of a triangle is not less than two right angles this postulate of parallels appeared to later mathematicians neither self-evident nor independent of the other axioms considered the flaw fruitless efforts were made for centuries to prove it yet here euclid is right this axiom or some equivalent for example two intersecting lines cannot both be parallel to the same line is necessary to Euclidean geometry. It was from endeavors to improve upon Euclid's theory of parallels that non-Euclidean geometry arose. If the fifth postulate is really involved in Euclid's other assumptions, its denial must lead to contradictions. But about 1830, the Russian Lobachevsky and the Hungarian Bolyai, independently of each other showed that its denial led to a system of two-dimensional geometry as self-consistent as Euclid's. This new geometry is based on the assumption that through a given point a number of straight lines can be drawn parallel to a given straight line. Euclid's proof that the sum of the three angles of a triangle is not greater than two right angles was still considered perfect until the German mathematician Riemann in 1854 showed that it must involve a fallacy, because no premises were used not as true of spherical as of plane triangles, yet the conclusion is false of spherical triangles. On this basis, Riemann further showed that still another self-consistent geometry of two dimensions can be constructed based on the assumption that through a given point no straight line can be drawn parallel to a given straight line. Thus, we have three self-consistent geometries of two dimensions, inconsistent as a rule, however, with one another. Let PC, figure 1, rotate counterclockwise about P. Three different results are logically possible. When the rotating line ceases to intersect the fixed line on the right, either it will immediately intersect it on the left, or it will continue to rotate for a time before intersection on the left occurs, or, lastly, it will intersect the fixed line on both sides for a period of time. The first possibility gives Euclid's, the second Lobachevsky's, and the third Riemann's geometry. The straight line of one geometry is not the same as the straight line of another, but in all three geometries it is the shortest distance between two points. Such straightest lines are known as geodetic lines. Incidentally, it may be mentioned that the ordinary straight line could not be drawn until recently except by means of a straight edge. This of course was equivalent to assuming it. A method of constructing it was not discovered until 1864 when a frenchman m Pousselier first solved the problem by means of a mechanism of seven links this consists figure two of two long links of equal length pivoted at the fixed point a with their other ends pivoted to the opposite angles of a rhombus of four equal shorter links pivoted together and of a final link pivoted to one free end C of the rhombus and to a fixed point B, the distance AB being equal to the link BC. If now C be made to describe a circular arc about B, P will describe a straight line perpendicular to AB as can be readily proved by elementary geometry. Defining space as any unbounded continuum of geometric entities, the two non-Euclidean geometries, though logically on a par with the Euclidean, were considered inconsistent with reality until a space was known for which they held true. It was found, however, that Riemann's geometry is none other than that of a spherical surface, a two-dimensional space of constant positive curvature. Provided arcs of great circles be taken as geodetic, straightest lines. In 1868, the Italian Beltrami discovered a surface for which Lobachevsky's geometry held true, the so called pseudospherical surface of infinite extent, a two dimensional space of constant negative curvature. In our space, only limited strips of the pseudosphere can be connectedly represented. It is a saddle-shaped surface, like the inner surface of a solid ring, and as the principal curvatures have their concavities turned in opposite ways, the curvature is negative. Euclid's geometry being true for the plane, a two-dimensional space of zero curvature, it will be seen that all three geometries require a space of constant curvature. On a pseudosphere, the straightest line has two separate points at infinity in a plane, one, and on a sphere, none. Euclid's axiom that two straight lines, or more generally two geodetic lines, include no space, does not hold for geometry on the sphere. Euclid's fifth postulate that two straight, that is, geodetic, lines intersect when the sum of the interior angles is less than two right angles does not hold for geometry on the pseudosphere. It can now be seen that Euclid's fifth postulate does not require nor admit of proof because it embodies the definition of the kind of space to be dealt with, that of ordinary geometry. Riemann also showed that there are logically three kinds of space of three dimensions with properties analogous to the two-dimensional spaces mentioned. They are distinguished by a so-called measure-of-space curvature, purely analytical, not denoting curvature for sense perception. If this constant is zero, we have Euclidean space. If positive, we have spherical space, and if negative, we have pseudospherical space. In spherical space, straightest lines return upon themselves, and the back of our own head would be the ultimate background. Space would be unlimited but not infinitely great, and the sum of the angles of a triangle would exceed two right angles by an amount proportional to the area. In pseudospherical space, straightest lines run to infinity as in Euclidean space, but the sum of the angles of a triangle is less than two right angles by an amount proportional to the area. In both spherical and pseudospherical space, there are no similar figures of unequal size, for in each case the greater triangle must have different angles. Lee proved that free motion can occur only in the above three spaces. There are other forms of non Euclidean space which do not allow of free motion, called by killing the Clifford Klein spaces. With three different self-consistent geometries of coordinate rank for the investigation of the properties of three-dimensional aggregates of points, it was natural to regard a space of any type as a locus in space of a higher dimension, and this led to the consideration of space of four dimensions, the properties of which, when of zero curvature, have been discussed in the main essay. Euclidean space considered as a region of measurable quantities does not, as we have seen, correspond with the most general conception of an aggregate of three dimensions, but involves also special conditions. It is specially characterized by 1. free mobility of rigid figures, 2. the single geodetic line between two points, 3. the existence of parallels, or by 1. free mobility, 2. postulate of similarity. Now, these characteristics are not necessities of thought, and if they hold of real physical space, the fact must be determined by experience as in other empirical investigations, that is, by observation and experiment, for we cannot logically demand that the objective world must conform with our subjective intuitions. It can never be proven, however, that our space is accurately Euclidean, for unavoidable errors of observation must always leave a slight margin in our measurements, and though within those limits our space is apparently Euclidean, this proves merely that the space constant is small, but not that it is zero. In spherical and pseudo-spherical triangles, the greater the area of the triangle, the greater the difference of its angle sum from two right angles. But as even the interstellar triangles of parallax investigations are utterly insignificant compared with the dimensions of space itself, it must always remain an open question whether, if we had triangles large enough, the sum of the angles would still be two right angles. Even with our imperfect measurements, real space, however, might conceivably be proven to be Lobachevsky's or Riemann's, for instance, if angular measurement could be made accurate to one millionth of a second and if a lack or excess of two millionths were then found in the angle sum of some interstellar triangle. Real physical space cannot be said to be either Euclidean or non-Euclidean. Geometry, therefore, throws no light on the nature of real space. The study of real space is an empirical science, while geometry is a construction of pure thought, a branch of pure mathematics. Pure mathematics is a collection of hypothetical, deductive theories, each consisting of a definite system of primitive, undefined concepts or symbols and primitive, unproved but self-consistent assumptions commonly called axioms, together with their logically deductible consequences following by rigidly deductive processes without appeal to intuition. Pure mathematics thus reveals itself as nothing but symbolic or formal logic. It is concerned with implications, not applications. On the other hand, natural science, which is empirical and ultimately dependent upon observation and experiment, and therefore incapable of absolute exactness, cannot become strictly mathematical. The certainty of geometry is thus merely the certainty with which conclusions follow from non-contradictory premises. As to whether these conclusions are true of the material world or not, pure mathematics is indifferent. As applied, geometry, in short, is not certain, but useful. The fact that all pure mathematics, including geometry, is rigidly deductive is in fact nothing but formal logic, has important philosophical bearings. It definitely and finally refutes Kant, who based his entire philosophy on the supposed possibility of forming synthetic judgments a priori, that is, of obtaining absolute truth by the intuitions of pure reason, quite independently of experience. For proof of his standpoint, he referred to the existence of geometry. This argument was irrefutable until the discovery of non-Euclidean geometry. Another far-reaching conclusion is the following. Metaphysical axioms being mere imitations of geometrical axioms will, like the latter, have to be discarded. It seems therefore fitting to conclude with the following words of the eminent German mathematician Hilbert, the most suggestive and notable achievement of the last century is the discovery of non Euclidean geometry. End of section four.